If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. And today, we have a post-free agency uh, podcast going on and of course I'm bringing on my buddy Andrew Ramondi. Andrew welcome back on the podcast and as of right now 7:47 p.m. July 5th on post July 4th there's no Kevin Durant trade so um, if anything changes in the next whatever hour and a half or so while recording this podcast uh, maybe this podcast just kind of goes down the drain but uh, no Kevin Durant trade as of now. So welcome on, Andrew. Thanks, man. Uh, good, good to be here. Uh, I kind of have a two-pronged monologue to start us off. The first was like, before we were before we started recording. I kind of had this existential crisis because I, I'm ha- was ha- the last time we did a podcast was pre-dra- pre-draft, pre-free agency. So a lot has happened and there's a lot to discuss, but you know, it kind of feels like the post free agency thing almost feels like after Christmas or something where like the excitement is there pre and like you're excited for stuff to happen. And like, obviously a lot did happen, but I don't know about you, but over the, over the last like week or so, I've just spent so much time looking at Twitter and like, listening to podcasts and stuff that like some of this stuff almost feels like it's in the rear view already. And I'm like, you know, what do we really have to, to add to the discourse? But, you know, I, I still, I still think a lot of this stuff is worth talking about. And, you know, I feel like in hashing it out, we get to kind of talk, you know, free agency is always fun because I think you and I both have a real fascination with kind of like team building and this modern NBA logic of front offices and this was a fairly some of the stuff we're going to talk about like in terms of like the KD trade to like some of these trades that have happened and some of these signings like it feels like I was joking after like the go bear trade the go bear trade happened to my friends like another one of my friends like it feels like the 90s like I don't know it feels like we're experienced like over the years we've seen that like as long as we've been doing this podcast we've seen that sort of uh like we've seen front offices get smarter and kind of more conservative and like draft picks get valued higher and, you know, stuff like that. And like certain logics to signings, but it feels like this year for whatever reason, a lot of that sort of went out the window. So I am kind of excited to break it down for me with that perspective. And the other thing is, and we'll, as you said, you know, I mentioned on uh at the end of the draft at the end of our pre-draft podcast like you know there's always it feels like in these free agencies like there's always there's kind of been a trend of like some big thing happening that like is it like we knew like Jalen Brunson was going to side somewhere like we knew there was a possibility of Rudy Gobert being traded the Kyrie thing hadn't been quite settled yet but you know I always feel like is there some sort of out of nowhere and it's not like this was completely out of nowhere but something more unexpected happening and as you alluded to it happened uh you know 
about a week ago on July 5th or just prior to July 5th, having not found a suitable sign and trade partner, Kyrie Irving announces, you know, that he's going to opt into his, um, opt into his player option for what is it 32 what was it 30 something mil i don't know uh yeah i think it was 30 um 5 million or something like that yeah ex- exactly and no offense we kind of unfortunately well one he delivers one of the greatest quotes of all time on his instagram post announcing this saying that uh normal people keep the world going but those who dare to be <laughs> different lead us into tomorrow. So, and I've made my decision to opt in, see you in the fall. And then he signs it, uh, a 11. Um, so after delivering that, you know, Ma, that Ma, and you know, he's been such a visionary, you know, in so many ways, he really has dared to be different. But anyway, after that happens, me and you kind of get to talking and, uh, I do don't want to flame you, but, I feel like you kind of got lulled into a false sense of security there. Like, I think you were, you were definitely nervous, but you were like, all right, I guess Kyrie's, I mean, I guess KD's saying, I guess they're running it back. And I kind of feel like I was on the little bit of more skeptical side. Not that I was expecting things to, to, to break apart so quickly. I was like, Hey, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm ready to like, with just how volatile these personalities have been like, I, you know, the tr- there's there's plenty of time for this to go wrong, and it seems like things had been going wrong as all of this was shaking out. And you know, the day free agency is supposed to start, Woj tweets that you know, and I think the source, like I think Rich Kleinman is was openly one of the sources on this, says that you know, KD asked to be traded from from Brooklyn, so. I'll turn it over to you after that monologue. I just want to clear out and give you some space. Like, I think it would be useful to kind of go Mm. back to that, to go back to that tweet. Tell me how you were feeling in the moment, your, what your initial thoughts were. And then like, you know, now on July 5th with him not being traded, uh, where are, where are you at? What are you sort of thinking about exactly? Sure. So, like, even with, like, the Woj and Shams tweet when they were basically in in cahoots or whatever with everyone, it seemed like everyone else, everyone knew what was going on. Yeah, down. it seemed it like they just, decided to leak this kind of to everyone all at once. It was, like, as close to an announcement from KD himself as you could get without him actually saying anything. Correct. So, like, it seemed like all of this was kind of – uh, orchestrated and things like that and then Woj and Shams tweet this out and say Katie wants a trade and I think this was right at the eve of free agency or right around it was a couple where... hours before it was a couple right. hours before because like the I always like to watch ESPN like the jumps uh like they usually have a free agency special, like at the horn of free agency. It was later than usual this year. It happened at six. I remember it being at like three or four in past years, but they actually came on early to discuss the Kevin Durant stuff mm-hmm. and sort of that storyline kind of usurped the first day of free agency. But uh, yeah, go ahead. That'll be my last interruption. Sorry. Yeah. Go and ahead. Pretty, and, well, pretty much my thought was, okay, so what is like, I, 
to me, it was like, what does that even mean? Especially mm-hmm. with the Kyrie news coming back saying he yeah. was opting in. So like my yeah. thinking, my thinking there with all of that was, okay, Durant wants to trade, but like why? It to me, it seems a little bit peculiar to announce. Yeah, the trade request now, in yeah. terms of like. I, I I understand in terms of there being the most possibilities for uh, trade trade partners, especially with teams that hadn't used up their cap space, things like that. But the teams that hadn't used up their cap space were teams like Detroit. Like it's not like yeah. KD would ever would want to go to sure. a team like that. And then it comes sure. out that he prefers these two teams, um, yeah. the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat. Um, as his preferred destinations and at that point I was like this is kind of hilarious because it just to me it didn't feel like Kevin Durant understood how like he does understand how the NBA works but in terms of like in terms of what value do those two teams have that sure make it make sense that the Nets are willing to be trade partners with all that and maybe Sean Marks in his public comments it made it seem like or not even public comments but things that were coming out from sources and I'm doing yeah. my my finger quotes but from sources where Sean Marks was willing to be accommodating to Katie's trade request and yeah. potentially facilitate a trade I was like I now I don't know why that makes sense at all like, mm-hmm. and to me, my, my immediate kind of thought was like, oh, this is like Ben Simmons now at this point yeah. um, from last year with what Daryl Morey had. And, and Morey kind of paved the way in terms of showing if you hold this asset and Simmons' Simmons's trade value had tanked prior to yes. that point. And KD's value is significantly higher as to where Simmons's trade value was at. And to me, it just made me think, oh, all you have to do, Sean Marks, is hold on to this trade piece and let, let's see where the chips fall. Like, mm-hmm. we can literally take this into the season, and it's proven yeah. if you wait long enough, teams are going to get desperate. They, there's going to be a disgruntled star somewhere. They're going to demand a trade. And this is where my my mind my mind was going and then i was and then i was kind of thinking of all the other implications like does it really make sense to tank no because the nets gave up all their picks for that james harden deal yeah to houston so my mind is going in a million different places all these things that are getting leaked out like Kyrie and KD, they want to still play together, but play in somewhere, play somewhere completely different compared to Brooklyn. Um, there being like the ridiculous Lakers rumors that were coming or coming out with like KD and Kyrie being packaged for Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis. And that it just felt like people were just kind of throwing shit against the wall just to see what stuck. And then, and then yeah. like, basically seeing like okay like we're throwing like literally any team like out there and then it kind of made you think like like not to bring the Portland uh, Trailblazers into this but like Dame Lillard posts that thing uh, with KD 
in a in a jersey, um, in a Portland Trailblazers jersey. Was that like before or after? This that was before. That was be, that was before Kyrie opted in. So that right. was like more, which is kind of to to not harp too much on like the historical what the ebbs and flows of this were, but you know that was prior to you know that was prior to Kyrie opting in. So, you know, there was kind of this, um, if this were a movie, that was kind of the, like, luring you into the false sense of security type thing. You know what I mean? Like, it mm-hmm. seemed once Kyrie opted in that, you know, the, the wave had passed only for it to get brought up, like you said, in this opportune but somewhat inopportune as well time as you've, as you've elucidated. So, like, yeah, that was prior to KD's trade request being made. Right. So like basically right where I'm at right now is like, yeah. what can we get for Kevin Durant? And I think that yeah. kind of kind of brings us to natural talking point that we can kind of just get into now is. Yeah. Like, and maybe you have other things that you want to kind of touch upon. But like, well, I would like the, to I would like to say yeah. one thing real quick, just about Go the Kyrie opting in thing. And this is kind of like a point I don't want to like hit like. You know, and it goes to that existential point of, like, what our purpose is in NBA podcasting. Like, is it our job to explain to people that, like, this isn't as easy as people think? Like, which is, I think, what you're starting to get at. And I think you were right at the very least in the sense of I was a little bit more skeptical of you saying all this when the trade talk first happened. Because, like, I saw it as somewhat different than the Simmons situation just in that Kevin Durant is a guy with just infinite more power and sway and like higher trade value. And like, you know, the leverage thing here is sort of fascinating because as you've pointed out, he has four years left on his contract. I don't think we've mentioned that yet, or maybe you hinted at it, but I'm not sure you said it outright. So like, you know, it's that the, the four years being left on the contract means like, yeah, there's no real, necessarily necessary imperative to to trade him nor and especially not to like force a trade to a team like the Suns or the Heat where and we can we can get into what they have to offer in a second but simultaneously the thing I do wonder about and like this was a thing Zach Lowe was talking about on his podcast that I found interesting like just who Kevin Durant is like there is some leverage there like you know, ostensibly they could trade him for the best package available, and we can talk about what that is. But at the end of the day, it, you know, if they if he doesn't want to play in Detroit, Detroit's not going to trade for him. And you know, right. So, and perhaps another thing I just wanted to add, like the possibility, you know, of not, neither of the big restricted free agents. DeAndre and or Miles Bridges, who I really don't even want to talk about his issues, you know, haven't mm-hmm. been signed yet. And perhaps the request was, you know, so that if there was a, you know, eight and sign and trade type package available, it would it would be more likely to happen now. But um, let I just want to set all that aside. Let me go back to the point I was trying to make about the Kyrie opting in thing is like, when people think about like these trades, like these blockbuster trades, like especially to like these teams that are already, as you said, like cap space is not very uh, flush among good teams right now in the NBA. Like 
Kyrie sign and trades were very structurally different to uh, to to pull off because they trigger the hard cap for so many of these teams. And like, that's something that we'll see, like there are these rules in place that keep the nets from trading for a team, like, you know, bam out of bio. So like mm-hmm. people, I feel like the average NBA fan who wants to just hop on the trade machine and go nuts, sometimes fail to understand sort of like the intricacies, the cap intricacies that sort of, and not that we're cap experts, but, but having our ear to the ground more than most people you know we we sort of understand them a little bit better so you know all that is so anyway Kyrie Irving I think opting in actually does make it easier for him to eventually be traded but on the Durant thing I just I think you are right in the sense like I am curious to see how long it goes on for and in true Kevin Andrew podcasting jinx fashion I'm sure he'll be traded right away after after I say this but like there really is this delicate dance that's going to emerge in like what can these teams what can this team get for him what are they prioritizing as you said like their cupboard is pretty bare but they do have Ben Simmons on the books and it seems like they also lean towards they lean towards you know bringing back like their team is set up to wait like they have good pieces on this team right now. They have Joe Harris. They have Steph Curry. They brought, um, they brought back Claxton and Patty Mills. Like, uh, you know, uh, and, and like, it, it, it's not even particularly easy to pivot to tanking for this roster unless you have a complete fire sale, which I'm, I'm not sure if they're interested in doing. They traded their first round pick next year for Royce O'Neal, which I'm sure they – immediately are regretting um so that that long-winded monologue is kind of to just get at this idea of like once you know the trade demand happens it does seem simple but as i feel like as time has gone on and we've seen this sort of the options reveal themselves if it becomes a lot more complicated so with that in mind like well, why don't we start here? Like, why don't we start here? It, it, let's start operating under the premise that, like, the Nets are definitely going to trade Kevin Durant. Like, let's just let's just assume that. Because if it becomes a stalemate of some sort or if it drags on or if it has the chance of, of, of resolving itself, like, that'll just happen. I don't think we need to kind of speculate about the likelihood of that happening. So – if you're Sean Marks or like as a Nets fan, if Kevin Durant has to go out the door, what are you looking for? What do you what do you want back? Is it picks? Is it the boatload of the mother load of picks as we've seen like OKC go down this road with Paul George and now the Jazz go down this road with Rudy Gobert? Is it uh you know a really good young player like for Brandon Ingram from the New Orleans Pelicans or, you know, one of the good young Toronto Raptors players, a Scotty Barnes or a, you know, combination of like an Ananobi and a Siakam. I'm just kind of shooting the, shooting the piston in the wind here with that. But like, what, what's your thought on what the return should be? Because this is a historical, this is the best, player who has ever and it seems like every year we're saying that dating back to Anthony Davis but 
this would be the best player to ever be traded in the NBA. Yeah. So, I mean, Andrew, doesn't it have to be both? It has to be. Yeah, both. no, it's like probably young players and a combination of combination of picks. And but this sure. is where we run. And I think you did a great job of giving context to the listener in terms of all the trade intricacies and why it's so hard in terms of like, yes, in the simplest of ways, KD wants to be traded, but those things cannot happen because of all these other things that must be fit in together in order for that to happen. And I think you did a good job of laying all of that out and giving context to that. Now, as we kind of move on and see like, and try to figure out what trade possibilities are out there. And there's a lot that's been thrown out on Twitter. A lot of it's been whatever slash false, like, you know, yeah. things when things immediately came out, people were suggesting Bam Adebayo, like to Miami. And then this whole package of something like Lowry, Duncan Robinson, and like Tyler hero and some picks would have done it. And that's not yeah. good enough. Like, that's just yeah. not good enough. And even and and this can bring maybe our next topic that we're gonna uh, that I wanted to touch upon with the Rudy Gobert trade going down. Like sure. optics, well, optics wise, how does Brooklyn settle for anything less than what Rudy Gobert yeah. basically got for um, Utah in terms of? there being the equivalent trade value because it's not like Rudy Gobert's like a 25 year old player that's coming off of all of these like amazing defensive seasons and you know third team all NBA center type of season he's been like he's been a really good defensive center um and like one of the best centers in the league but it's not like he's anywhere close to the value of what Kevin Durant is. No, of and, course not. Kevin Durant's and, a top fifteen, a top twelve NBA player of all time. Yes. And 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 maybe like that is the hard thing about this whole thing with how the Gobert trade kind of blew up the value of or the expectations for maybe what the Nets are going to ask for or want. Yeah. Because. If Sean Marks gets anything less than that Gobert trade, like how is how is that even gonna look? There, there's yeah. just no way that's and like at that point, wouldn't you just keep you're just keeping Kevin Durant if you don't get anything close to any any of the picks that that it brought back? It like Utah ended up getting a couple rotation pieces in that yeah, deal so too. Yeah, so I was going to since since you brought it up, let me just interject and and I don't want to get our wires crossed too much. Like I'd prefer to yeah. break down the Gobert trade separately, but for the purposes of this discussion in case the listener isn't isn't aware of the terms since you're if we're going to take this as the standard. So the the Timberwolves received Rudy Gobert. That's that's it. Rudy Go, Gobert like you said. Uh and fringe all NBA player, multiple DPOI, who is whose offensive capabilities are okay, but it's have been proven to be occasionally somewhat limited as 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 the playoff as the playoffs have kind of come and gone. And for that, the Jazz received Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, who were both good players. 
Jared Vanderbilt, uh, another solid rotation player. Leandro Balmero, who was the Timberwolves' first-round pick last year. Walker Kessler, who is who was their first-round pick this year. And uh, 2023 first-round pick, unprotected. 2025 first-round pick, unprotected. 2026 pick swap. 2027 first-round pick, unprotected. 2029 first-round pick, top five protected. So anywhere, depending on how you look at it, anywhere from five to to seven first-round picks, depending <laughs> on like seven. what what lens you want to take it. So yeah. as you're saying, like that that does seem to be the market. But like, and you've raised this interesting point, and I don't want to just keep like leading us further and further into this knot that's impossible to untangle. You know, and when we get to Rudy, what is that team out there who has that cadre of assets available and is simultaneously, like, I know it's obvious, like, every team in the league is calling about Kevin Durant, I'm sure, but, like, will pull that trigger on that trade is is somewhat fascinating. Um, But, you know, we'll have to, you know, and we'll have to see, I'm perhaps a little bit more pessimistic than you are in like this idea of the ability to play hardball. But I guess like at the end of the day, it's just something you, because I do think the Nets at the end of the day are this big market organization that, you know, probably, you know, and we could get, I don't want to get too deep into the cultural thing, but like, you know, and you could make the argument of like, is this the reason we got here in the first place? But like throughout this whole Katie, Kevin Durant, Harden era, Marks has sort of straddled this line between like wanting to continue the culture that this team built under a team like Atkinson, under a coach like Kenny Atkinson, and within this organizational structure that sort of allowed the Nets to become a respected enough organization to trade Kevin, to sign Kevin Durant in the first place. But as this kind of whole debacle unfolded, you know, this sort of question emerge of like, were these guys just given too much rope or given too much space to kind of just like be the worst versions of themselves right? with no oversight, like uh, a hilarious, like, and then we can go back and because I do eventually want to bring up teams names and get into the hypotheticals and, you know, we can continue to explore these things that way. But I do want to just point out for posterity, I do think the funniest, and there have been so many funny things to happen, free agency, Brian Windhorst, Utah Jazz, soliloquy yep. on first take, which is just like one of the greatest things of, of all time, you know, but like there mm-hmm. was this Woj, I don't know if he tweeted it or said it on ESPN, but he alluded to this idea that like Kyrie and Kevin Durant are open to playing together, but not for Brooklyn, which is like truly one of the most. And I feel like you and I have over the years tried to be try like, we don't want to be like anti-player empowerment. Like this is the sport we love and personalities we love. And we want to, you know, try and understand them and not like get into this radio DJ mindset of just like shitting on players, but that has to be one of the least self-aware statements I've ever heard from an, like ever heard or from an athlete, because what did the Nets do? 
what what did they do? They got other than not blowing up Eric Adams's mayoral apartment to get the vaccine <laughs> mandate uh, lifted. They, they, they got everything they wanted. They signed DeAndre Jordan to a, a, a horrible contract, played him to the detriment of their team in order to satiate them. Like basically hired uh, jettison Kenny Atkinson and hired Steve Nash. And like, basically, you know, it's not like, Kevin Durant was like wiling out over the years or anything like that, but basically seemed to co- sort of relinquish the the things that made them successful in order to kind of chase this ultimate super team player driven sort of philosophy that ended up not working out. So I think Marks is the, the point I'm trying to make here is that I feel like Marks is sort of caught between a rock and, and a hard place because the logical conclusion of how he's treated these guys so far is like, all right, if that's what you want, I guess we'll, we'll do it. But as you've mentioned, like, especially with the market seemingly being set with this, with this go bear trade and like what we'll talk about in a little bit, DeJounte Murray was also traded for three first round picks becoming probably the worst player to ever, you know, and DeJounte Murray's a good player, but probably the worst, asset to ever be traded for three first round picks in like modern NBA times. So like they can't, it just can't happen that easily, you know? So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you have anything to add to add to that? Or do you, do you feel like I covered that, you know, well enough? No, I think you, and you know, yeah, I think you covered the bases well. I think, I think you just covered the bases well. Like what was, what was Sean Marks supposed to do other than like, convince Kevin Durant and Kyrie to come to the Nets by being like, okay, we will sign off on DeAndre Jordan. We will do these things. We will like, we'll get rid of Kenny Atkinson because at the end of the day, like stars win championships in the NBA. So if you don't have stars, you're not, there's no pathway to a championship. So like, I just don't really understand what the Nets organization could have done to improve their chances other than maybe like being like, all right, we're going to give Kyrie the max and like that. And, and maybe the tone slash change of tone towards like their end of uh, season Hmm. press conferences of, I think it was like, I think it was Sean Marks kind of was on the dais and was saying like, all right, we're going to need like these guys to kind of show up every like, like if that, Maybe if he, he had the audacity more... to play to say that Kyrie Irving should play basketball games, yeah, right, right. And maybe if he was like a little bit more placating in those statements, then it could have been a different deal. But like they got James Harden, they gave up, they mortgaged their future for James Harden, and then he was jettisoned after whole after a year. So it's like I I don't really understand what the Nets could have done better necessarily to placate their demands even more it just feels like one of those incidents where someone says they want something they get the thing that they want and then they say oh this is not what I wanted after all and then they want the whole thing to change and they blame other people for it so like I so at that point what are you going to do but like kind of steering us back towards like what are the other trade what are the trade possibilities for this team and i tried to outline 
going through each NBA team, what the natural, like who is in that place that ultimately feels the pressure to win, is willing to give up draft capital, and has young pieces willing to do that deal. Now, it feels like, if he, like there doesn't feel like a sneaky team there that is willing to do that. All the reported teams that are out there, the Toronto Raptors, the Phoenix Suns, the Miami Heat, like yeah. I just don't really have a team that's out there that has that pressure to win immediately within the next two years that has good enough assets if I'm the Nets to look at and be like, wow, I'm excited about it. And, and, and some of that goes into maybe the organization that a bunch of these teams are like Toronto is a smart organization. I feel like they're going to kind of figure it out and like their yeah. draft picks won't be bad enough. Same with the Miami Heat, even if you trade with them, Phoenix is kind of the outlier there. Like that, like they're, their leadership, their ownership is not the best in terms of like they can kind of make some rash decisions, things like that. Sure. But they ha they probably have the best championship window out of all of those teams, I would say. Um between Toronto and um Miami, at least in the in their immediate future for the next two two ish years or so. Well, now but, you get so let's yeah go ahead keep going I'm sorry I'll let you no, finish because I think you're then, you're doing a good job of setting the setting the landscape keep going yeah, yeah and then you go and then you go to some other teams that might have some established stars that I kind of ruled out that I just can't really see them doing like I I kind of toss toss the idea of like would Boston do this trade for Jalen Brown in something. Doesn't feel likely at all, especially with all the drama that KD's brought and then the chemistry and all the stuff that has brought them to the NBA Finals this year. It doesn't feel like they would pull it, pull that trigger, um, and that's likely at all. Cleveland Cavaliers, would they tra like put Evan Mobley in a deal? I highly doubt that, slash their timeline doesn't feel like they're ready to kind of take that next step in order for them to like compete for an NBA championship. Um, I looked at other teams like would Charlotte potentially give up something for Kevin Durant? No. Um, Orlando does like, are they, they feel like they're too far off. So like you kind of go down the list and you, you look at these teams and, and and you, it's hard to find a natural trade partner for the Nets, and that's kind of my argument as to as to why they potentially might wait into the season to figure out the trade, just because there might be a disgruntled star that gets like a little bit more upset. There might be a team that might start five hundred and might start feeling the pressure. Okay, maybe. Kevin Durant's available. If we give up this, this, and this, there's potential possibilities for him to come here. Um, there is that Golden State, Golden State Warriors rumor with like Andrew Wiggins, um, Jordan Poole, James Wiseman, um, um, 
Jonathan Kaminga thrown in there. I, I don't see why he would want to go back there to the Golden State Warriors. So, like, tell me, Andrew, like, what's the net, What's the team that's out there? Yeah. The only team that I, I can – Yeah. Sorry, the only team that I could really think of that was, that was out there that would potentially maybe do this deal are the New Orleans Pelicans and then the Oklahoma City Thunder. And that was the only, those were the only two teams that I could potentially think of possibly doing a deal like this. And other than that, yeah. I, I, I was just kind of at wit's end trying to figure out who this team would be. Because those two teams have the young talent, the natural, the, the, the uh, stockpiling of picks that they've acquired throughout the past two, two to three years or so. And they, and I would say New Orleans, more so than Oklahoma City, New Orleans feels like they have a little bit more of that pressure to potentially win in their immediate future. So I don't know who else, like, I just don't really know who else that team would be. Yeah. Okay. So with that, I think that was a great, I think that was a great, and I don't want to accent, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole for like an hour and then have to rush through everything else. So kind of with you having done that, let me try and sort of utilize my, give the sort of, devil's advocate take on like what I think some potential deals could be based on sort of what you said. And then we can kind of circle back to circle back to the, what is the path forward here? Like, so the two <laughs> teams that, that you outlined, the teams on his list, the Suns, it seems like an eight and sign and trade type thing would be DLA. Like it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. So no. it seems like that kind of a package would be like more of a, like, the piece, the younger rotation type pieces like Mikhail Bridges, you know, the Jay Crowder, you know, uh, some of the other rotation guys, I, I highly doubt Booker would be included in such a trade. And then they, they did give up a pick in the Chris Paul trade, but they do retain most of their own picks going forward. So it would be like that and, you know, the whole asset chest in terms of picks. That still doesn't quite seem like you're getting there. Uh, you nope. know, as of yet, like down the line, uh, maybe, but as of yet, like if, you know, if they started bad and Booker became on the table or something, maybe they, I, I don't know, or maybe they receive stuff in an eight and sign and trade that allows them to sort of, uh, to sort of have, ha make their offer more enticing. The heat thing, like I haven't, I alluded to it briefly in my sort of, people y'all just don't understand monologue from before bam Adebayo and ben simmons can't be on the same team they're both on this designated rookie extension and the cap and the nba bylaws or the nba cap for whatever reason says you can't have two designated rookies acquired by trade on the same team so i think what that how that trade would would materialize if it were to happen would be like like you said the sort of hero Duncan Robinson, young players, plus probably you would assume Bam Adebayo being traded for a third team with some for some stuff, some picks and whatnot that can then go back to the Nets. But it should be noted that I do believe the Heat are also a team that has a lot of encumbered picks and whatnot based on the Kyle Lowry trade and the and the even the Jimmy Butler trade going back a ways. 
so I'm I think that, that could. I, okay, that's interesting. I do think that could happen down there. I'm a little bit more optimistic than you, just from the idea that there could be a tra- team out there that wants to trade for Ada, but like you know has stuff and desperation, but doesn't quite want. Like I'm saying, not to we don't have to, but like. For example, if I were the Portland Trailblazers and I chose to go for Adebayo, and this would have to have to happen later because now a lot of these guys have been signed. Like if you wanted to sort of go, you know, you trade all your young pieces for an Adebayo and then and whatever picks you have left, and then that could go back. I, I agree. It's like I think it's better that they could eventually get Deuce better than whatever the Suns could offer. But fine, we can we can we can cross them off. Then you get to sort of like, so those are like the teams he wants. And then you get to like the teams that I think are, that he would potentially be willing to go to, like you said, Pelicans, they have re-signed Zion. So to, they have signed Zion to a max extension. So he can't be traded right now. So if it were to happen now, it would have to be branded Ingram and everything you know what, you know, uh, maybe Devonte Graham or something like that. And like everything or like them and whatever other young piece they have, that's escaping me. Herb Jones, Herb you know, Jones. whatever. And everything that seems, that seems, that seems all right. I, that, that, that seems all right to me. You know, the Raptors, as we've said, like Scotty Barnes and stuff, or, you know, their young pieces and stuff more enticing. The one team I don't think you mentioned, uh, that I kind of like the idea of, and but I don't think it would happen right now, again, to be clear. But say Memphis starts to struggle a little bit, you know, Jaron Jackson okay. Jr. is going to be out to start the season with this injury. But if that team isn't clicking in the same way it did last year, do you do Jackson, Bain, and stuff for KD, which I, I, I think – I would value that higher than at the very least, whatever the Suns or he could offer. I don't, I don't know what you would think, but we don't know if that, we don't know if they even are willing to do that is is sort of the thing. So like, and I put that in like the sort of like KD might be willing to go there. You know, you don't, you might reach, reach that tension with him of whether or not he wants to go there. You might not, but they still seem like teams where he could come in. These are still teams where they would come in and compete for a championship. I'm a little bit more skeptical about the other teams you mentioned, even if they'd be willing to do it. Like let's call them the lower rung teams, like a, a Cleveland Cavaliers or a magic or a whoever else you want to say might, might, want to go all in at some point in the future because I do wonder if at that point you start to get more pushback from Durant and have sort of more lever of a leveragey market type you know issues coming into play but I think as we're laying all of that out though it does it does I do start to see what you're talking about like in terms of the idea of like will this actually drag out for longer than people think? Because like in order for those things to, in order for these potential impasses to be reached or these things to play themselves out, like it'll take time. And as you've said, the Nets probably shouldn't be too hesitant to get this, to, to do a deal too quickly. And, you know, with the market being set at what it seems to be for these stars who are, you know, quote unquote stars who are decidedly below Kevin Durant, like there's going to have to be a baseline that that needs to be reached. And we don't 
seem to have good intel as of yet as to whether those offers exist or not. So sort of with that in mind, like if, if they don't, and one thing I do want to just bring up briefly, I do wonder if there'll eventually be some, you know, I don't know what Joe Sy's ownership or, you know, what Marx's thoughts on this will be, how much of a truly Mori-esque killer he'll be able to be. This saga has just been going on now for so long, and there's been so many twists and turns, and it seems like the overall feelings towards it on the net side specifically have become so exasperated that, like, do you really want this dance to be continuing over over your team in perpetuity? I'm not quite sure. But, you know, real quick, I wanted to kind of float this idea of, like, Perhaps the thing you could do is like deal Kyrie now. Yeah. And and then wait to see what happens with Kevin Durant. But if you do that, like even that seems harder than it the question if you're the Nets if you cho- choose to go that route though like are you doing this in the, with the true minds? I feel like you can't do that unless you're committed to trading Kevin Durant also at some point or another. Because if you do that, like the most logical, if you do that, I don't, if you are hoping that KD can come back, you're certainly not trading him to the Lakers for Russell Westbrook. You're only doing that if you're, you know, committed to sort of like being bad for a couple of years, restocking the war chest and moving forward in whatever way you choose. And other than the Lakers, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of logical conclusions. He also has a list. And, you know, but when you start to look at these teams, the Sixers, uh, well, who else? The Clippers, you know, the Mavs are the one that might, you might be able to figure something out for. It, it, it's not, it doesn't seem so easy either. So I do wonder if that's the, and I don't want to like waste too much time going into the logistics of that, just in the interest of talking about other things. But I do feel like that is a logical path to continue down. And perhaps I'm just getting sucked into your logic too much, but like I do wonder about how quickly something for Kyrie is going to come together as well, because there just hasn't, there's been sort of since the trade, the trade demand, other than like people like you and I speculating on podcasts, there hasn't been a lot of hardcore reporting on this stuff yet. So I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, it's just a lot of, like, throwing around. Like, the most reported thing is the Lakers stuff with, like, yeah. Westbrook and then something else. But, like, here's my thinking. Westbrook's on an expiring. Kyrie's on an expiring as well since he opted in. Like, at that point, like, unless you're getting multiple first-round picks from from the Lakers or, like, something of value, what's the point of, like, trading for Russ? Like, there's no point in just gifting them that there yeah. like might as well just let Kyrie do what he did last year. <laughs> like I, they sat through that last, this is where I have a hard time trying to figure out even this Kyrie stuff, because like the Kyrie thing, it makes more sense that they would trade him just because he's on an expiring contract, get something for him. But like, even that market seems so on like diluted slash you it's really hard to figure out what 
is exactly his value, especially right now because of what happened last year. So I don't exactly know what he can really get. And if, if, if it's literally just for Russell Westbrook expiring, it's not like they're getting off of Kyrie money in the future. So like, what's the point in taking Russell Westbrook back? It just doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to me unless sure. they're getting, unless they're getting picks slash like, yeah, I would assume they'd be getting picked. I, I would right, assume right. they'd be getting picks back, but, but yeah. So like, so like, so that's where my thinking goes. And then especially with, you know, the Durant stuff, like we kind of went through all the teams that would potentially go, you know, potentially trade for him. The, I'll, I'll kind of rank it this way. I'll go Pelicans, Pelicans. Um, I, I feel like the, um, the uh, Grizzlies one that you floated out there could potentially be interesting too. Like the Jackson Bain combo, that would be nice. Like they're pretty young guys, but is it just because it's based off of what like John Morant does is as to why they're more effective? I'd I'd rather I like Scotty Barnes slash Brandon Ingram better in sure. terms of players. So like I'd probably rank it like Raptors slash Pelicans as one one A one B in terms of the potential options there, and I feel like if the Pelicans feel that pressure to win, I, I feel like they would be more willing to potentially like push their chips in the middle of the table and like start trading a bunch of their picks. And like, yeah, I, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And I, I and agree. Like, I just wanted to say, I agree with you in that assessment. Like I always think I, I, if, if you were, if I were, if I, if there was a betting market that existed on this and I had to throw some money down, I would probably choose the Pelicans because that is the team where like need ability to get stuff back and, you know, yeah. And fit seems to, seems to meet in, in some way or another. And, and like my one, one like thought about why I'd want the Pelicans is because I don't trust, not that David Griffin is a bad GM or anything. Like he's proven that he's, he's able to extract value, especially for his best assets like Anthony Davis or, you know, boatload of picks. But in terms of a long-term situation, I don't trust them as much in terms of being able to play. well. And I don't think it's likely that Kevin Durant would stay there past four years. And and by that point, he's 38 years old or whatever. Yeah, but uh, that's fitting with your window anyway. You have CJ McCollum, who's somewhat older. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. Zion is is on the younger side, but he's still a little bit more of a question mark. You know, I think you'd be happy with, like, trading all that stuff for – like, or at the very least, I could see the rationale of trading that stuff for uh, for even if it was two years before he got mad and wanted out, trading for two real shots at, at championship contention. It seems like something the Pelicans would be more willing to do as opposed to perhaps a team like the Raptors or what have you. Agreed with that. So, And I who think, knows? I we think, haven't – the Warriors thing yeah. could come together in a weird way. I don't want to talk – like, go down this – for every single team as I do it. But like, you know, who knows? Maybe that Warriors thing. Does. If you, we had a long talk about the Warriors culture sort of triumphing mm-hmm. over everything. 
perhaps you know maybe that'll maybe there'll be more less animosity than you'd expect and more of a willingness to to reunite than you'd think but i don't know we'll see i can't see that i can't see that happening i think package wise i would like that the best honestly but like i don't interesting i don't know if i see that happening honestly interesting uh well all right you know to, to, to sort of wrap it up like I basically agreed with your 1A, 1B. I see the Heat as a slightly bigger threat than you seem to. Just going off the urge of, like, even just going off of the, like, the occasional, that front office has shown a savviness and ability to sort of get stuff done when they want to. So, like, I trust their front office more than the Suns. So, like, even though the Suns may have more of a desperation and, like, Mark's way may be able to, quote, unquote, win a trade more easily than they will. I, I see the, the Heat as perhaps having the ability to, like, find other assets from making other moves that, that could eventually get them there. But, like, you know, I was talking about the perspective we potentially bring earlier, you know, earlier in the podcast, and perhaps our, our niche is NBA realism. And, you know, it's not as fun to have this kind of a uh, discussion, perhaps as opposed to just like being on the trade machine and fantasizing about it, all these different scenarios. But the truth is like, it is a kind of confusing, murky, interesting case study. And uh, we'll just probably have to see, see where it takes us and, and follow along as it, Andrew, as it if, transpires. If, if you had to put money on it and seasons and when, you know, Kevin Durant is playing for a team. Which team is he playing for at the start of the season? Yeah, I, I said if I bet if I had to bet money on it, I would bet the Pel- Pelicans. Oh, at the start of the season? Yeah, yeah, I still take the I'm a little bit to be frank, I'm just a little bit more I I I hear you on the Simmons thing and I guess AD was like had a little bit more of a drawn out process to some extent also. But this was stuff that happened at the start of the season. And I guess Harden extended a little bit into the season, too. Well, it gives me a sort of like, okay, if you gave me two betting lines, like if you gave me like Nets versus the field, perhaps I'd take the Nets. But if I could like, if I were picking, like I think the best value would be taking a team like the Pelicans or the Raptors or whatever. I put it at like, because like, so I'd, I'd, so the point I was making with bringing up the Harden Davis thing, and then I got kind of sidetracked by thinking about your question again. I do think you are slightly overestimating the time. It's, you know, in general, with the exception of Simmons, who once again was a uniquely damaged asset, like it does feel like once this, the ball starts rolling on this stuff, it does reach a conclusion fairly quickly. But even if I put it at like a 45% chance or like a 40% chance that he's still on the Nets to start the season, he's still the best pick because the market is still uncertain in many ways. So, yeah. you know, I yeah. bet he ends up on the Pelicans eventually. And perhaps the most likely option of any team is him starting the season on the Nets. But like, I don't know. I wouldn't really. I wouldn't be as shocked as you seem like you would be if something gets done in the next in the next month or so. Mm, okay. Well, yeah, I think this is going to be a more drawn out process than that. But yeah, maybe I'm. We'll com- have to see. Maybe I'm com- yeah, maybe I'm completely wrong because the only the reason why I say that is because this is where Sean Marks' reputation is going to be made or broken. So like mm. 
this one move is going to determine his, what are you going to, what can you say? Like, I guess, reputation slash like legacy uh, of being a GM slash front office decision maker. And if he gets like, if he, if he doesn't get everything that he wants, there's just no way that he's going to be able to like, I, I just don't know how, I just don't know how much time he's necessarily going to have if this is the result of everything of like yeah. Kevin Durant. Yeah, that's fair. I really, so like, I, I just feel like he's going to take his time and be more methodical and take as many or he's going to take as many calls as possible to determine what he can, you know, get for uh, Kevin Durant. And maybe it does come together quickly because he gets blown away by an offer, but like, he's not going to be, I just can't see him basically giving away Kevin Durant. Like I, and this is where I'm really curious to see like what types of mechanisms and like, um, if there's like a three team trade out there that ends up happening. Like, I'm just really curious to see what the result is because it feels like everything that's being floated out there seems too simple that I just don't know if that's the, that's really going to be possible, especially with like such a unique situation happening. So I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say about Kevin Durant, Kyrie, the Nets. Like, I don't even want to really talk or think about them anymore. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a crazy week or so being a Nets fan and um, just brings back a lot of memories of that Kevin Garnett. Party like it's 2015, uh, baby. Yep, so it's exactly like that. Um, yeah, at some so point yeah. we'll have the chance to do the postmortem when things resolve itself, but that can be for exactly. another day. Next thing on the agenda, Andrew, Rudy Gobert. Like, yeah, I'm going to curse on the, this thought. Like, what the fuck? Wow. <laughs> yeah, what happened, man? Like, I just don't understand. Like, um, I was really shocked by the trade. Um, There's a lot of conversations from – you know, talking with my brother, who's an NBA, big NBA fan, just scrolling through Twitter. And then when you saw the trade package revealed, Rudy Gobert, yeah, and you outlined it before, it was just like, what did Minnesota do? Um, yeah. Tim Conley, who ended up coming from Denver um, over to Minnesota to run their team and, and be their pre- president of basketball operations and do, do all that in Minnesota, gave up the boatload and gave up everything basically for Rudy Gobert. Um, And it seems like a win now move. And that's like the understatement of the century, but it's uh, like, there there's two sides to this value wise. I think everyone can kind of agree that it's, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. Yes. Pretty crazy. And then I think, I think a lot of what a lot of people haven't talked about though, necessarily, because I think, because we're kind of in the off season of the NBA, we're we're determining who won value wise, and it was clear that Utah ended up winning the deal, at least from their point points of view. But yeah. like from a from a basketball fit perspective, I think that's a far more interesting conversation to have in terms yeah. of 
where where these teams go moving forward. Um, you, I, yeah, like you, you nailed it. Yeah, yeah, and I think because like I think everything's been kind of said about the deal. Like, there's nothing other. Yeah, than how many what ways had, can we frame it was bad? Why were all these? Right. I think they had to be unprotected in order to send these many picks. Why are they out prote- unprotected? Why do they go yeah. out this long? Why did they also give up their two first round pick players? Why is there also a pick swap? When, you know, perhaps who were they negotiating against? Like exactly where they had to do this. And maybe it was an internal sever- an internal uh an internal leverage type thing where Danny Ainge was look you know, was coming in saying like, We're fine with sticking pad and running this back, you know perhaps to our own detriment and we're going to have to be bowled over by an offer to, you know, to move to, to, in order to actually get off this guy. Uh, but yeah, like, as you said, kind of like, I think I just quickly ran down all the things you could say, but like how, in what, how many ways can we, can we say, you know, it's bad. So let's move to, let's start on the Timberwolves side of things because like, let me lay out like, like we can start from this operating premise and then talk about the basketball fit. Like here's the devil's advocate, like all the reasons I could think of why the Timberwolves would, would do this. Right. Like you have Carl, you now after, you know, years, you know, this famed 15 year plus stretch of basketball wilderness, you know, only to be rivaled by the Sacramento Kings basically you know, you finally seem to emerge with this relatively stable Edwards Towns core. Towns was just signed to a max extension, uh, you know, a few days ago. Um, that, like, clearly has promise, but has this fundamental limitation of defense, right? Like, Towns' ability to function as a, as a defensive center in, you know, in the NBA and that being a limitation to where this team can go. And, you know, they had a couple ways they could have gone to, 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 to do that, to, to improve, like, do you trade for scoring or for a more defensive oriented guard like DeJounte Murray, or do you take this, you know, with, we were talking about this on the last podcast with the two big model starting to make a little bit of a resurgence in the NBA. Do you pair towns with a more traditional you know defensive and you know you know a more prototypical nba center and operate in that way like you know they have new ownership you know and stuff like that is there uh, they clearly there's they sense a sense of desperation to make a move now as opposed to later on like perhaps gobert seemed like that perfect guy to them and they're you know and that's and that's the direction and clearly that's the direction they chose to move in because this is their this is going to be their team going forward gobert is also on like a pretty big contract you know probably overpaid that will be extending into his you know mid-30s um so you know like that's this is the direction they've decided to go in like i don't know like the que- i guess the two questions to you that i have is like how do you foresee, like, what do you make of the basketball fit? And then, like, I do think the not to sort of, like, hint at my thoughts on it, but, like, how much better does this make the Wolves 
in the West? Like, who have they passed by? And this will be, I think, a question that we discussed when we talked about the DeJounte the, 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 the Murray trade as well and kind of hints at our basketball, ph- basketball philosophy. Like, in your mind, where does this team now sit in the Western Conference hierarchy, having made this all-in move? Yeah, I... I don't know if it improves, like taking that second question first, I don't know if it improves their chances in the West any more than maybe being better than the Utah Jazz, just kind of looking at them, um, looking at the Western Conference standings last year, they have Phoenix, Memphis, Golden State, Dallas, Utah, Denver, then Minnesota was in the play-in, the Pelicans, Clippers, and then Spurs. And it feels like it doesn't feel like they're much better than any of those teams above them, except for maybe Utah and maybe Dallas. I think like you could kind of make the argument that Dallas, like if they just have a little bit more, more pieces and depth than Dallas does. But although they've gotten rid of some of their depth now with this trade, as we outlined. Right, right. But like over what I'm saying is like, I guess over the star power talent, right, star talent and stuff, they might have a little bit more. They have more options to go to instead of being so centric over one or um, like Luca centric over one star. So they might be better than that. So maybe a top five seed or so. But that doesn't – I don't think it guarantees them anything more than – like, I – like, would you even put them, like, as a guaranteed top six team where they have to avoid the playing game? I'm not exactly sure. Um, and maybe that's just me underrating Rudy Gobert. And this is more of, like, a playoff take. And we've kind of harped on this throughout um, this podcast is, like, Centers in this league have lost their value, and yeah. now you have two of them, <laughs> and and it just doesn't feel like like I think the I, it'll be interesting to see what Carl uh, Anthony Towns can do on the defensive end in terms of like is he going to be able to stay with stretch fours? Is he going to be able to stay with like smaller guys in the playoffs when teams inevitably go? Um, down in size like are they going to be able to match up with them defensively and then also punish them on the offensive side of the on the floor where they can out rebound them uh, with offensive rebounds and things like that and we've kind of seen time and time again especially with Utah's playoff runs Rudy Gobert gets played off the floor a decent amount of times during these playoff games and and there's a lot of talk from different podcasts saying, oh, if you look at the numbers, like Gobert kind of defended pretty well against like certain lineups and things like that. And he wasn't actually as bad as people were saying. Um, and it was actually the teammates around him that he was covering for and those defensive uh, inefficiencies that these um, surrounding players had around him he was covering for their mistakes. So that's why it looked as bad as it did. But at the, at the same time, it's not like he was doing a great job offensively punishing them um, to the point where teams had to f- 
feel like they're forced to defend them. Sure. So I think that's, I think this will, that'll be like a really interesting fit between Towns, Go, Towns and Gobert. And I wonder what ends up happening um, with like Anthony Edwards development and all that. And then D'Angelo Russell's still there. There's a lot of talk that he might get traded as well because he's on an expiring deal. So I, I do wonder like what the fallout of all of this is. And like just looking at the contracts, like Towns is there for the next two years or so, but he's probably going to sign a max extension deal. Um, like Edwards is coming up in two years. D'Angelo Russell's expiring. So like, they're, this team has this window of probably two to three years they probably foresee during the life of Rudy Gobert's contract that they feel like there might be this championship window and maybe like A-Rod and like all those terminal, you know, like we've had this joke with A-Rod and like him being this finance type of dude where he has like yeah, all these him in front of the Bloomberg terminals, right? Yeah. Trying to figure everything out, being part of this ownership group, and like it just kind of it just kind of smells of desperation when they didn't even have to make this like they just didn't even have to make this move. They were just not, like they were like this nice story on a nice trajectory. Felt like even if they like, for example, like and maybe we're kind of bleeding into the DeJounte Murray topic a little bit, but like, let's say if they wanted to do the DeJounte Murray pick, right? Like, or that trade deal. Like, I feel like that's so much better than what they did with Gobert um, in terms of like what they would have had to give, give up. Um, And maybe I'm just totally underestimating Gobert's fit slash ability and how he fits with this team, but I feel like someone like Murray could have done a lot of the things like be really good defensively next to Edwards, bring up the ball, be that point guard playmaker for this team while not having to give up Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley. Like, I I feel like they could have figured something out there, figure something out in that deal. And I don't really know. I just don't know why they did this deal. I don't really know. I I see, like, I see it and I understand, like, because of the defensive metrics and what Gobert brings to the team. But fit-wise, it doesn't feel like it all meshes together. What do you, like, what do you think about all this and, like, Try to make sense for make sense yeah. of this for me. Yeah, like, I was I, about to go. I don't yes, know I, yeah, I was about to. to I was about it. to. I was about to. Try, like I was about to. Literally, you basically teed me up perfectly for what I was going to say. It was like I pretty much do agree with everything you're saying. Uh, everything you just said. Like I think you outlined the you know the basketball thinking man's take on this pretty eloquently and like. I feel no need to expand on that. Like, given that, like, I pretty much 93% agree with you. Like, let me just kind of go to try and take the other side for a second or, like, give the optimist's approach here. Like, the, 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 I think the allure of trading for Rudy Gobert as opposed to, like, a DeJounte Murray is, like, when you trade for Rudy Gobert, like, when you have this nucleus of Gobert, Towns, and and – 
Edwards. And I agree with you. You did a great job to point out the the D'Angelo Russell expiring and like perhaps how they rebuild some of their depth is like moving him down the line for some stuff. And I don't really know what his value looks like at this point, but that, that can be a discussion for another day. But like when you trade for Gobert, like your identity is pretty set, right? Like you're going to play those two bigs together. You're going to task Rudy Gobert with handling the defense and you're going to go to Chris Finch and say, Hey, fashion the best offense around these guys that you can. And you will have like a great offensive player in towns and an emerging one in Edwards to sort of, sort of do that with. And like that, but like the scheme will be, you know, the scheme will probably be fairly straightforward. Like, you know, with hey, Towns is in a pick and roll, they'll do their like half edging switchy stuff. And Gobert will be around the rim where he's like shown metrically to be one of the greatest rim protectors of all time. Like it's alluring because like your problem was defense and Rudy Gobert is perhaps the best individual player you could bring up in the league, bring in in the league to re- remedy defense, your defensive issues. Um I completely agree with your point. Like I'm a little, and the one thing I'll also say is like, I'm a little bit more optimistic than you in terms of the like towns guarding fours thing, because like, I think when you look up and down the league, like, and I wholeheartedly agree, like, is this, you're going to be forced to play this, play them together in the playoffs. But like, is this feasible in the playoffs is certainly a a valid question. uh, A notion I'm, pretty skeptical of myself but like the point I was just trying to get to was like when you're looking down up and down the league like yes there are unique fours like LeBron James is and you know Kawhi Leonard's and you know what whoever else you want to point out that that will give that will give still give this team issues in in that regard but like yeah you know the average four in the NBA isn't like a particularly like offensively gifted they mostly you know they're mostly just like guys who stand in the corner and you know do some stuff occasionally um so like i i wonder if like that's part of the thinking and like you know deciding that this that this front court could potentially be feasible going forward and the other thing i just wanted to point out like once again you pretty much nailed it right on the head with like when you look you're like how much bet? So, like, yes, in theory, even if Gobert remedies this problem, there sort of is this fundamental existential problem of like, but who exactly did you get better than that I think is there? But like, if I wanted to create, go for kind of the devil's advocate argument, I was thinking back to when the Suns traded for Chris Paul, right? And I mean, a difference is they didn't give up nearly the return that, that, um, that the Utah gave for um, Utah gave for Gobert here. Like they basically traded for like a first, they basically traded like a first round pick, pick swap, you know, and Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, Ty Jerome, Jalen LeCue. So not as much, but like, I remember talking to you after the Suns trade and sort of having the same question, right? Like, and like saying like, eh, well, like, yeah, the Suns have this emerging player in Devin Booker. Like, you know, Chris Paul is a great floor raiser. But, like, what is this team really other than, like, 
you know, uh, bottom of the pack playoff team. And, you know, they came together and they made the finals and are now sort of like at the top of that West heap. Although, you know, as teams like the Clippers kind of come back stronger and, you know, all the other teams you mentioned, you know, a team like Denver or whatever, still, still lingering at the top of the pack, it may be a a more difficult path than the Suns had. But the point I'm trying to make is like, Sometimes you just do go for it and bring in that guy. And especially when he can sort of bring with him a anchoring philosophy that you can then try and construct your team around. Although, as we've pointed out, the capabilities for doing so are now limited. Like sometimes you just make that move and occasionally it does really work. So I think that's basically what's happened here. Now, like at the end of the day, do I think that is the right thing to do? Of course not. Like I think over three plus years of podcasting, I, you know, the way we talk about things and view things in the NBA makes it clear that we don't think that's the right thing to do, but do I get why they did it? Like, I, you know, I, I can, at the very, I'm not completely mystified. I can see sort of the rationale as I just attempted to lay it out. Right. And I think, I think it's fair that you've laid it out that way in in comparing it to the Chris Paul deal. And like, it makes sense that like they would bring this guy that clearly solves some of the issues that they've had on the defensive side of the floor. And what Chris Paul did for that Suns team was kind of unlock Devin Booker and being able to like play, make and calm a team down, things like that. My only question is, like, the Chris Paul thing kind of made sense to me in terms of fit. And, like, yeah. It, and that's where I'm having trouble with yeah. this in terms of, like, all right, like, Chris Paul, like, the Chris Paul, like, Devin Booker backcourt, oh, that makes sense to me. Like, and for whatever I wanted to, like, say about, like, oh, like, I don't know if it re- really necessarily changes the the trajectory of that team. Like even this, like yeah, sure, they might be a second. They they might be like a really good regular season team, like second seed or t- two seed or three seed. But like when they get to the playoffs, I just don't know how the like how Gobert and Town share the floor together, and that's just the only thing that yeah. is no yeah that, like continuing to pop up in my mind is like if there was another and I don't even know who that guy out there is where they could have like fit a guy that was really good defensively as a foreman that like they could have packaged all those players and the picks that they had to get what they exactly wanted because it felt like they were kind of like a swing man flat like a wing another wing yeah slash like four man short that was good defensively next to towns um that could really do the things that they want to do and i don't really know maybe the maybe the fit works towns is really good from three and can space out the floor that way and gobert dives to the rim and like and and this is where like a lot of pressure is going to come on anthony edwards to really perform um in those pick and rolls and make correct decisions and things like that and he's proven that he's been really good in doing that for a young player but 
he's going to really have to elevate his game here to like really drive this team forward. So who knows what, like, I like to me, if I'm putting money on it, I'm putting like, I don't. Yeah. And this is all early, but if I had to bet, I, I don't like, this is like a team that I would sneaky, like maybe not even put in the second round of the Western conference. Well, yeah, no, I was going to say like, do the, and we'll have this question about the Hawks eventually too, but like, yeah, second round still does seem like the the ceiling. And is that really where you want to be having just basically mortgage your entire future to get, to get, to get to this point. The one thing I wanted to also just say before we move on from this is like, and I really am fascinated to like, I don't have a question about the fit. I tried to do my best to sort of make a case for it before. I, I don't know, but like Gobert is such a fascinating player in just like the NBA, the NBA, not mythology, but like in the NBA, mind, the average NBA mind right now, like he seems yeah. like a uniquely like, like, you were saying, like, talking to your brother, who, like, probably follows the NBA, but, like, a little bit more casually than you or I. I also have friends who are, like, on that casual level. And it seems like everyone hates Rudy Gobert. Like, you know what I mean? It seems mm-hmm. like no one really likes Rudy Gobert. He's, you know, I don't know if that even dates back to, like, his role in sort of the early NBA COVID landscape and, like, there's bad feelings from that or, or like his, the fact that he is this kind of throwback, really traditional NBA center in a landscape that's moving away from that stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't seem, mm-hmm. and I think that's why the, this trade is so uniquely confusing because like any thinking NBA mind can easily sort of pick out the problems right that that come with you know him being on your team but like at the end of the day this will be a slightly different situation like we don't know what potential limits that you know the jazz were always a somewhat offensively limited team around him you know offensively outside of donovan mitchell they never really had much going on defensively other than him and at least now you'll have a good point of attack defender and Anthony Edwards or like at least a hold your own point of attack Anthony uh, defender and Anthony Edwards on your team and like at the end of the day this just amounts to like it's not a good argument to be like we might be wrong but like who knows like it's sort of I am fascinated in this morbid way or in this perhaps morbid (laughs) way to see what the fit is like because you know, this he does have a unique set of capabilities at the end of the day. And like, yes, we've yeah, you know, we don't need to hammer home for the thousandth time that the playoffs it'll become more difficult. But like, you know, it will still be interesting. Like, perhaps we are underestimating his capability to like, or the the um trans transfer not transformational a transference of that set of skills to different circumstances. Maybe we'll be wrong. I don't, maybe we'll be wrong. I don't know, but I think it's a lot, you know, because it's so easy to make those nitpicks that makes me almost more uh, excited or anxious to see how it actually bears out in practice. Yeah. It'll be definitely interesting to see the first, like, 
15 to 20 games with that team gelling together and trying to see how they figure it all out. So moving on, Andrew, we got the DeJounte Murray trade. Um, and it just feels like there's a bunch of trades, like big time trades and like trades looming that are really capturing this NBA free agency. And that kind of like brings me to two points of like DeJounte Murray trade. And then like all, how all these trades have impacted like free agency themselves because, uh, free agency, free agency itself, because there hasn't been that star marquee guy that really has moved throughout this off season other than from a trade. So the DeJounte Murray trade, um, do you like the fit on that Atlanta Hawks team Um, and what he was traded for value wise? How did you feel that, the Spurs did value-wise in recouping, um, I believe it was Danilo Gallinari. And then... I have the terms here, yeah. Danilo okay. Gallinari, 20, Hawks, uh, or sorry, a 2023 first-round pick via Charlotte uh, from New York, protected. 2025 first-round pick, 2026 pick swap, 2027 per first-round pick. So again, like a theme we've seen with this trade, like, to kind of hook it back to what I was saying about this like philosophical shift we've seen, like another team, another trade where a team with like, while they are making a move to get better and they are, you know, on paper an NBA playoff team is willing to go really, really out into the future and take on all of this variance and uncertainty that as any NBA can see fan can see as a Nets fan certainly can see lingers around any NBA team, regardless of how good they are, let alone being kind of like a mid-pack playoff team. Uh, so in that way, like to, to make it clear, like I think the Spurs did an incredible job of getting a return for on DeJounte Murray, who made the all-star team last year, uh, is a nice wing defender, you know, uh, will look night like in by all accounts, like, does will do things for that Hawks team that, you know, other, other players couldn't, couldn't provide. We saw, uh, uh, you know, he, a Terp, red rocket, Kevin Herter get shipped off to shipped off to the Kings. And I think that does make some sense because he's kind of probably too good to sort of be that like seventh, eighth guy that he was going to become on this team after this trade was made. But I mean, the easy point of comparison here is the drew holiday trade that the bucks made a couple years ago. And that was a time where like the bucks, you know, traded for this like wing, you know, this wing defender sort of finishing piece and mortgage their future to do so. And at the time we sort of had discussions about that idea and it worked out well for the bucks. Obviously they ended up winning a championship. But the difference here to sort of, you know, uh, to sort of make my own point in and of itself is the Atlanta Hawks ain't the, ain't the Milwaukee Bucks. They yep. don't have Giannis and, uh, Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton. They have Trey Young, who is a great player, one of my personal favorite players to watch in the league. A great offensive player who can't defend for shit. And now yep. you are, you know – you are adding a defensive piece next to him. Uh, 
But, you know, I have kind of questions about the – I am a little bit confused about the offensive fit. Obviously, he can play off ball. But, like, you're it's a somewhat contradictory move to trade for Murray because while it does make your defense better, you're, it does seem like your, your offensive ceiling that could potentially make this team great comes from, like, having just Trey Young be surrounded by other really good offensive players. And DeJounte Murray, while he's like a capable pick and roll guy and, and the like, isn't necessarily that like he's not gonna shoot it spot up like a Kevin Herter can or or someone else. So without getting too too bogged down and like fit, I just while it's a trade that makes them better, like to not repeat myself, like I am slightly I am just a little bit more than perplexed as to why this Travis Schlenk and this Hawks organization is deciding like that this is the moment where they need to go all in and that this is the exact player that they're going all in for. Uh, what do you think? No, I think it's kind of similar to what we just talked about with Minnesota, like fit wise, like, like I, I don't think the fit is as confusing if that makes sense in yeah. comparison it's not, to Minnesota. Yeah. No, it, it does confusing. make sense, and I think, and I think, like maybe there's some like potential where Murray's bringing the ball up and like you'll sure. Bray coming off of a lot of picks and things like that, and making it a little bit easier for him to maybe spot up and shoot and score points. And and I think you know Murray's proven that he's a decent playmaker. He, I mean, he almost sure. that, you know all the assists that he ended up having last year, things like that. And and just to I point do. out, like, another another thing, uh, not to completely – sorry to interrupt, but, like, also, the Hawks were horrible with Trey Young off the floor. Trey Young deals with injuries here and there. So, DeJounte Murray also provides a nice floor raiser when Young may be off the court in whatever capacity. So, I just wanted to throw that in as a plus as well. Right. And I think, I think like, what maybe a theme that we can extrapolate from a lot of this is, like – when is the right time to make the move? Like, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, when is the right yeah. time to make the final move? And we've touched upon it throughout the podcast of, like, when do these NBA front office guys try to figure out, okay, we have a team that's, like, on the precipice of making a run or on, like, is, is a potentially about to take the next step. Um, and it's worked out for some teams. It hasn't worked out for other teams. Like we've touched upon how Chris Paul, that Chris Paul trade that really elevated the Suns. Um, the Drew Holiday trade elevated the Bucks to the championship. Um, Go Bear, does that does that end up raising the profile for Minnesota? Does Dejounte Murray really change things for Atlanta? And and for for the two teams like the Suns and the Bucks, does does it like and maybe I liken it a little bit more to this the Suns situation in that like it felt like pre Chris Paul the Suns were how do how do you put it like directionless in a way like mm-hmm. maybe maybe we weren't exactly sure what this team was like if I mean if people want to try to remember before Chris Paul ever entered into the Suns picture, a lot of people saw Devin Booker as like a guy that was 
a nice player, but he didn't create or he didn't um, he didn't contribute to winning basketball. And like the narratives kind of shifted on what people see of Devin Booker now because of what Chris Paul has brought to that team. And it feels like that's where Atlanta kind of is right now. They have a nice young star piece in Trey Young. And he's like a really exciting player like Devin Booker is, but he hasn't really contributed to really good, really good winning basketball. And maybe their thought is like, let's try to bring a guy to take us to that next level. But the only problem is DeJounte Murray is not Chris Paul. And like, that's pretty much like what I think they're asking DeJounte Murray to be in terms of impact for this Hawks team. And I just don't know if I see it in terms of him being that guy to take him to the heights that they want to want yeah. to go. Because yeah. Like, and, uh, they, yeah. yeah, they've pretty much given up like their draft picks for the next four years or so. And, so like, and, I don't think we did. No and the thing we make. didn't even mention is that like, DeJounte Murray is right now a nice cheap player with two years left on his deal, but like can't really extend for very much. So he almost certainly is going to hit unrestricted free agency in two years. So it's not like the Chris Paul deal where like you're a lot. And Chris Paul obviously had his own questions given his age, um, you know, of being locked in for that deal. But with a player like DeJounte Murray, you want them to be locked down for as as long as possible. And that's not even the case here. I, I just wanted to throw that in the mix as well. And uh, right. I think so, you made a good point. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I was, was going to say not to take the ball. Yeah, not to take the ball away from you, but like, like let's sort of make this fundament, like get, have the rubber hit the road here. Like, your closing five is going to be Trey Young, you know, uh, DeJounte Murray, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, probably. John Collins, you know, he was seen as a guy who was likely to be moved. And perhaps he, although in this current landscape, there aren't as many natural partners for him as teams like the Blazers and, you know, whoever else have kind of started to make their or have kind of made their moves. Uh, but like if even let's if you know maybe they trade him for pieces that fit better but you got young deandre uh, i'm sorry dejounte murray collins uh, deandre hunter the bogdanovich in the mix capel in the mix you got onyeko and kongu coming up but he's you know the center but he's going to have to be paid eventually like you just look at this team and you're like all right is this like a dynamite closing five now that that murray's on the team not really like, and I sort of see them in that same boat as the Minnesota Timberwolves, right? Like kind of a second round playoff team. And of course they perhaps have, you know, and it's kind of one of those things where you, you pointed out the thing about the right time to make the move. And like, I have my own thoughts on that. I do wonder if like this being a year, like generally the way to sort of make these moves on the fringes or like, get that second best guy or third best guy. If you're an NBA team is to sign a free agent and the dearth of free age quality free agents this year, perhaps prompted teams more than usual to feel that desperation or to, to feel that 
internal pressure manifesting itself in trades more. That's that's just a pet theory. But like, you know, I like in sort of the tie it all back to get where I was going and what you were saying earlier. Like, I don't think the time to make a move is like when you're a fine youngish playoff team that is now going to be solidified in what your team is able to be while still not listing yourself to any sort of real championship aspirations, you know, higher than maybe five, three to 5% more than it was previously. So, right. You know, all in all that is to say, like, you know, I get it, as you said, perhaps more than the go bear trade in part because they just gave up less. And it's one of those things where like (laughs) the go bear trade coming along makes this look way less bad bad. in comparison even though like still I can't believe you're giving up a 2027 first round pick when DeJounte Murray isn't even under contract in that year you know like as a general rule I don't think I would be ever be giving up first round picks beyond the tenure of the you know supposedly floor raising player I have is guaranteed to be um sure but yeah I almost lost my train of thought in the middle of that sentence but like it's just another one of these things, and I, I hate to kind of repeat the same points, but, like, it, it just does make you wonder what the what the end goal here. And perhaps, you know, maybe it comes down to how you value these guys as well. Like, perhaps the Hawks see, and like, you were making that really, really astute thing about kind of Chris Paul and what he allowed – uh, Devin Booker to become. You're right. Maybe Schlenk and that, you know, Hawks front office see DeJounte Murray as a player that can grow in his capabilities and eventually become that second guy. And perhaps maybe we are putting too much stock in what he is now while he is still fairly young. Uh, but I don't know. To me, when it comes to like these trades for fringe all stars, uh, I don't think you should really be setting. You know, I I think it's a dangerous game to start playing when you are putting so much stock in that kind of guy to to really lift lift your team. Right. No, I totally agree with that. And it's like the hard thing about it is they don't have the established infrastructure that like has proven like. Oh well, Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan builds great offenses, so I'm sure he's really (laughs) going to be able to. I'm sure he's going to be able to figure it all out. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, just to even, like, like, even comparing it to the Bucks thing with Giannis and, like, then bring Drew Holiday, like, they had Giannis. They didn't, like, and this team doesn't have anyone close to being a top five player in the league. So that's where it just becomes, like, really hard to determine, oh, do we make this move now? And you probably shouldn't. But, like, at the end of the day, it's like, all right, if we can kind of get a little bit for like a little bit better, maybe become like a top four seed in the East, then maybe it changes things and who knows. Um, yeah. And especially with like all the conversations surrounding the Nets uncertainty. Plus like, even like, even though Boston was like really good this year, the talk about them going into this season and even in the middle of the season was just like, we need to break up Brown and Tatum. So like sure. even those things, there's a lot of questions surrounding uh, these teams until they actually have that playoff success. So that's maybe what they're shooting for. So Andrew, I kind of wanted to get into like 
maybe the root of the of the problem and that's like free agency and the lack of free yeah. agents, um of quality free agents and that's why a lot of these teams and and this is kind of my like thesis slash like idea kind of thinking about why are all these players seemingly going for multiple first round picks where you know a couple of years ago you could kind of see like oh Paul George going for the amount of picks that he went for, or someone like Anthony Davis going to the Lakers, going for the the picks that he went for. Oh, those two players, like they're star players. They make sense. But then it's kind of trickled into like, okay, Rudy Gobert gets traded for that amount, that amount of picks. Now DeJounte Murray's one of those guys that gets traded for three first round picks in a pick swap, like kind of like, let's please make sense of of this for me and the only conclusion that I could really come to was like there's a lack of free agent free agent um this offseason in terms of like quality star players that could be had um and that's where I think GMs were prob and front office people were probably thinking trying to figure out how do we improve our teams better than what's currently constructed um without the help of like free agents because a lot of these teams were hampered by cap problems and it's not like there are many very there weren't many teams that were that were flush with cap space and the teams that were were teams that are not anywhere close to competing um in the playoffs so i think that was kind of the conclusion that i had when determining why these teams are making the trades that they did and I'm kind of curious to see like as the next CBA comes comes um comes up in terms of like trying to ratify it and and um and maybe change some of the things to um I don't know I I feel like the the designated player type of um type of extensions have kind of caused free agency to be a little bit more, especially for this year, a little bit more like predictable slash not as fun. And it's a lot of, a lot more of these ancillary pieces. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see if they, if the NBA uh, tries to change a little bit of those things, instead of having players just opt into deals or sign teams with their current, sign extensions with their current teams and then demand trades within the first six months to a year of their five-year extensions of their deals. So that yeah. that's like, that, that was just kind of like all ruminating in my head and trying to yeah. figure yeah. out like, I mean, how do we change this system and how does like, like, I, and maybe this is just like one of those cyclical things that ends up happening where, next season and I haven't even really looked into next season's uh reagents but like which guys are available then and maybe the trade market kind of cools off a little bit just because of the amount of picks that have been traded and there's not many picks to be traded anymore yeah so like no you're right so it I, is interesting so, yeah so I, I and so perhaps so it's uh not yeah. to get bogged down in that like I'll let I'll let us move on but just to throw my own two cents in there real quick because we've joked I think CBA negotiations 
will happen this year. And we've joked to like, is our niche to try and put our lawyerly muscle into just becoming CBA enthusiasts or something like that. But I just one point I wanted to make is like, I don't like, cause I don't have any, any problem, any solutions. And I don't think you were asking me for any, but I do wonder if it just like kind of not a cascading problem, but like sort of a problem that just will manifest itself in different ways. Like, you know, the things like the designated player extension were instituted as a result of this perceived movement in free agencies and, you know, and super teams developing that way, you know, LeBron going to the Miami heat and the like. So you add the designated player extension, which leads to, you know, more players, you know, getting the bag and then asking out later on. And, you know, like, as you've kind of pointed out, well, like the fashionable way to acquire talent becoming through trades as opposed to free agency signings, which allow you to, uh, which require you to give stuff up and sort of shape the market that way. So all of that's just to say that I don't really know what the answer is, but it'll be interesting to hear potential solutions and also to see what the push pull between uh, ownership uh, governorships and the, uh, sort of player camp, the tensions that may emerge and whatever those those ideas are going to be. Um, yeah, that'll be so like so, yeah. So you know, I, I presume you were going to transition from here into sort of like I think we decided we were going to just kind of try and do a lightning round on free agency type stuff. Like, mm-hmm. all right, the big free agency signing, Jalen Brunson to the Knicks, four years. Uh, what was it, 110 million or thereabouts? It was uh, about, I think it was 104 million. The 104 figure. million. Okay, 104 million. Like, let's try and frame this in the let, like. Let's try and frame this in the in in like the right way, kind of based on what you're talking about. Like in this year with this market, like this is what this is what free agency left us this year. And like you said, I don't know if. This year probably was a fairly unique year in some ways, and maybe we're being colored by that. But, like, all right, this is what you have to do to make any sort of impact in free agency now. Kevin, what do you think, bud? Yeah, I mean, I just – I don't know. This free agency class has just been, like, whatever. The, the Brunson deal, like, really, like, all the max – like – all the chain like movements that the Knicks did to get Brunson, like that was for Jalen Brunson. But like it, and like Knicks fans could be upset about it for like all the moves they traded Nerland Noel and like that contract away so that they can get some cap space, cap space in order to sign Brunson. But it's not like they were going to sign anyone better. Who else were going? Were they going to sign? Like, yeah, there was no other avenues to make this team better and you know there's a lot of like these connections between Brunson Leon Rose who represented Rick Brunson who's Jalen Brunson's dad and like and is now an assistant coach on the New York Knicks right and is it right so it was a lot of that but like I think the Brunson war for 104 is like okay, like, it's, it makes, it's like, he's overpaid, but like, which free agent isn't overpaid that switches teams? Sure. And like, maybe this is just the new market for like, 
serviceable point guards that were maybe the third slash fourth best player on a conference conference finals team. I like and Brunson's not a bad player, but I don't think people view him in that maybe top fifteen point guard list, I guess. They just kind of were like, oh, he's like a nice player, maybe because of where he was taken and where he was drafted. Um, and they don't expect that out of him. But like, yeah, I don't know. It just, it does like when you hear a four for 104 for Jalen Brunson, it seems like a lot. And then once you add into the, add into the, uh, like add all the other things into account with like his dad being on the team, like Leon Rose being like, wasn't he his like old agent or something like that? Like, all that type of stuff, you're just like, okay, like, what is going on with the New York Knicks right now and what they're trying to do? And, like, yeah, maybe they maybe they overpaid him by, like, 10 to 15 to $20 million a year. But at the end, like, I feel like that's, like, the tax that any yeah. free agency team that is going to go for top-of-market free agents are going to pay, um, and they're going to overpay by that much it's kind of hard to get like good value on free agents no 100 percent. yeah ever yeah like I, there's yeah like i don't i don't know if i i like there weren't that many like wow that's a great deal for like that team like i didn't know many of those many no. of those deals out no. there where i was like yeah. wow great i was about to that. I was about to joke about us being relentlessly negative on this podcast, like not basically liking anything that happens. And another thing I was just going to point out, Ree Brunson is like, what it took for him to switch teams apparently was like the Mavs fucking up horribly to the point where he wouldn't even take a meeting with them. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I I believe there was kind of tensions that emerged from – him not really getting the kind of extension offer he wanted early enough. And then obviously he had a great playoffs, which probably drove up his value a little bit. Um, So like it took, not only was it like, yes, they had to overpay, but like it wouldn't have probably even happened if not for this toxic situation emerging from the Mavs perspective. And if you're a Mavs fan, you really have to kind of be like, well, fuck yes, he got paid too much, but like, we lost this piece for nothing and really haven't done Literally anything. To sort of, we just, all that happened was that we basically got worse. Uh, and, but I actually think you did a great job. Like we don't have to spend too much more time harping on this, but like, I actually think you did a great job. Like I think there is, I think the Rose tenure in New York has been pretty competent for the most part like I think you did it like to take what you were kind of saying a step further I do think there is this lol Knicks potentially unfair lol Knicks view from the average NBA fan on everything they do like they made a trade on draft night trading their the 11th pick for basically like three first lowish first rounders coming from various places from uh from OKC's cadre and like people were like clowning on that and it's like I don't I don't really hate I think that's pretty reasonable like I you know what I mean I think that's pretty good and like the ultimate point I do 
that you also started to get at, I think it's true. Like the kind of problem with the Knicks is just like, and this has been there forever is like just this, like what, and you know, to once again, like you could probably take a drink every time this concept has been brought up on this podcast, but like, what are you building towards exactly? Like Jalen Brunson, as you've said, is like a nice player, but like, he's not like anchoring your offense in any specific way. Like, yeah, he'll be your point guard and like, he can run some pick and roll. He can score, you know, whatever, but you're still left with this kind of weird lineup of like him, RJ Barrett. I, they, you know, they paid Mitchell Robinson, you know, Julius Randall. And, you know, I'm forgetting who, Oh, Fournier. Evan Fournier. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, all right, I guess that's like a play in team cool like what exactly is the like what exactly is the point there and like who knows maybe there is a there is like you know maybe move randall and sort of reorient in that kind of way or or something else happens like the one negative thing you could say is that like in sort of like what i would be doing if i were the knicks would be like kind of going in that more okc houston direction where you're like stockpile like the Knicks to me should just be like stockpiling assets for the next disgruntled superstar that emerges as opposed to like making these marginal marginal moves to make an okay team maybe somewhat good um but like the one thing that you can say though is that like at least they seem to have like a vision and they are executing that a vision is that vision in what seems to be a somewhat thoughtful way that you know if you're a Knicks fan, you have to at the very least appreciate compared to what's gone on there in the past. But, you know, I don't know. The thing about that organization is like, at what point is Leon Rose, is pressure exerted on Leon Rose and, you know, GMs in that job have not been too long for them historically. So I, I don't know, but yeah, I think you did a pretty good job of encapsulating it. And, and like, yeah, I, it's not like the greatest thing of all time to, to go with that player at that price point. But I certainly don't think it's like clown worthy by any stretch of the imagination. No, I agree with that. And then like, you know, like there's talk about Donovan Mitchell trade potentially happening. Yeah. We didn't even get into that. Could we do one quick sidebar? Like not to, we have to go on. I know, but like, I, just real quick, like I won't even wager an opinion. If do you, th- if you're Utah, what are you doing? Are you using what you got in the Gobert trade to try and rebuild around Mitchell, or are you looking to move Mitchell and go into a full-on OKC-style teardown? Uh, I think it could go one of two ways. Like I think you've kind of outlined it. It's like if there's any you could do either. Yeah, I think I think it gives them optionality to do either. Whereas like before, they were kind of stuck with their team. So like they got you know they traded O'Neal Royce O'Neal for to my Nets for uh, first rounder, and then they you know did the Gobert trade. But I think it gives them optionality now to like switch things up and to see like all right, who's the next star that's going to be disgruntled so we could parlay these picks. Or if there's, like, a godfather offer for Mitchell that comes yeah. up, like, just trade him and then reset. Like, there's – and then, like, kind of go the OKC-Houston path. I don't think Danny Ainge is necessarily, like, tied to this roster at, or tied to tied to Mitchell at all necessarily. And then um, 
yeah, it's almost felt like the team they had there was kind of kind of peaked slash like tapped out on their potential. And I don't know if Mitchell could have taken them any further necessarily um, unless they had more help. I just don't know like what they would what they would be able to acquire um, next to Mitchell to kind of elevate them to new heights that were, you know, with where they were. Um, even the past couple of years or so. Like, it it feels like to me, Ainge is kind of moving in the direction of like, hey, let's go full teardown mode and then try to figure it out from there. But yeah, that's I just do, kind of yeah, my I opinion. Do, I do wonder if like ownership in that, and I do believe they are under, under new ownership, but that team, you know, has mm-hmm. in the past seen the show a hesitancy to go full takedown mode. And there's a part of me that wonders if, part of the reason why it took such an godfather offer to acquire Gobert was kind of that rationale coming into play. And that leads me to believe that they would probably prefer to pivot and, you know, rebuild around Mitchell as opposed to go full teardown. But I think you, you, I think you pretty much set it out perfectly. So to kind of, to close up here to try and hit the other things we want to talk about, I wanted to frame it to you this way. We've kind of been relentlessly negative on this podcast. What? Ha- give me a move a team has made, or, or you know, a team that you've kind of liked. Like what? What? Who's done something good in free agency so far? Um, there's a couple teams. So, like, just in isolation. Um, yeah. Bruce Brown to Denver, like, kind of like that. Not that like he changes the changes too much of anything that's going to happen in Denver, but I thought he was pretty effective on, on Brooklyn and maybe this is my, my bias coming through, but I feel like it'll be interesting fit between him and Jokic. Um, did not like the Deandre Jordan deal though that they did, but I, that's like a, another thing. Um, a couple other moves that I did actually like, I thought Minnesota made a couple good free agency signings. Like, they re-signed Torian Prince, and then they signed Kyle Anderson. I liked both of those moves for them, too. Like, Phil's kind of that wing spot that they needed desperately before they did the Go-Bear deal. So, like, I was like, oh, they're kind of building something somewhat interesting there. And then the Go-Bear deal happened, and then I was like, uh, like, I, I guess, like, that's, that was that for them. And then, like, there, like, like, there's things that I like want to criticize more, but like, can't like Otto Porter for a two-year deal, not terrible. And then like Gary Payton Jr. to to or Gary Payton the second to um, Portland on a three-year deal, like it feels like a lot of money, but I think when talking it over with you, the rationale started to make more sense. And I was like, okay, like you're going to pay 9 million for that. That's fine. Like, and yeah. 8 million or whatever it was uh, for him. Like, okay, that makes sense. But I think if like, I also think like Golden State not bringing him back and then just kind of replacing him with Dante DiVincenzo and they do complete, you know, they do different things on the court, yeah. but yeah, but I know, also, they still I, fit, I, you know, that three and D. Like, obviously right, not right. the same. Peyton's a better player, but he's a reasonable facsimile for cheaper. 
you know, right, and, right. and exactly. the Warriors have historically done a pretty good job of that. I was talking about this with a warrior friend, buddy, and we'll get to Portland. I'm going to skip over Gary Payton for now and just do three minutes on Portland at the end that I'm sure will extend to 10. But, um, you know, I was talking about this with the Warriors fan friends and like, basically they've had this over the years, had this kind of thing of like, we let our Pat McCaws, our Kent Bazemores, like these kind of fringe rotation players go and trust our, you know, front office's ability to replace them and re-sign Kevin Looney at all costs. And that, and I don't think, I don't think he's been re-signed yet, but that's been a pretty workable strategy. Oh, is he? Okay. And that's been a pretty workable strategy for them, you know, over the years. So I see, I would see no reason to panic or worry about that. Were I a Warriors fan. Um, Can I give you two, two, I like and, real quick or yeah, yeah go anything ahead else you want to on? well nope. one thing one thing to point out that we both i think universally liked and it's probably the most not only the most universally appreciated move of the free of free agency so far but is also probably the biggest thing to happen that we haven't talked about yet malcolm brogdon to the celtics um, oh yeah you you have to kind of you have to pretty much love that uh, they didn't give up that much for him. 2023 first rounder, Aaron Neesmith, Tice, uh, Juwan Morgan, Nick Stathkis. So basically all of those guys, with the exception of Peyton Pritchard, that you and I said were unplayable in the finals yeah. for various reasons, for basically what we prescribed for them. Uh, well, there were two things we prescribed for them, but I believe we said, you know, either a sort of, playmaking wing type an additional playmaking wing type or a ball handling guard type um and they went with the ball handling guard type and they got him for relatively cheap i mean my one concern uh if i were a celtic fan would just be you know he is on a fairly long expensive contract and i do think this pretty much you know, I, with the exception of trading Jalen Brown or, you know, breaking up the Tatum-Brown core, which I certainly am not advocating for doing, this is now pretty much your team. And, you know, uh, Brogdon has had a share of injury issues, you know, over the years. But it's pretty hard to find fault in getting a player who does add something in a way we were lamenting in the playoff, in the, in the, in the finals you know, he is a good finishing piece if there was one to be had for the Celtics team. And you got him for as pretty much as good of a, a deal as you could have gotten him for. So that's one. And I was also going to single out what the Sixers have done as something I really like. Uh, signing uh, P.J. Tucker and Daniel House. Uh, just mm-hmm. adding shooting around that. Adding shooting around that core. You know, creating sort of... Uh, Potentially lessening the burden on more, uh, not problematic, but on more sort of one-way players like Matisse Seibel, potentially making him expendable and someone you could flip for, for something else that maybe fits better. And just, you know, and just building in such a way that when it comes time to do our wins pool, I think a lot of people as sort of the the playoff woes of that team fades, they're going to be a team a lot of people look at up and down the roster and really like. So those those were two two things that came to mind for me. Got it. So, Andrew, yes. most important part of the podcast, we're going to close with your Blazers and how yeah. they've kind of conducted themselves this offseason. Um, I'll just kind of read out some of the moves. 
and yeah, then go maybe for you it. can kind of react to them. So Anthony Simon signs the four-year extension for $100 million. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic comes back on a four-year deal for, what was it, $70 million. Um, and then yeah, Gary Payton, the second, yeah, Gary Payton, the second comes, um, joins the Blazers on a three year, I, I believe it was like 27 or $28 million. So, yes. And, um, and you didn't mention it was prior. It was, uh, before it, we haven't talked about it last time we recorded also drafting shade and sharp at number seven overall, who, as I said, mm-hmm. if they were to keep that pick, would be kind of my preferred, were in, was in my top two preferred. Keegan Murray didn't end up falling there, and then I think I ranked him above Dyson Daniels. Uh, so happy with that. And then the Jeremy Grant trade, trading mm-hmm. basically the consolation pick that they got after the Pelicans didn't end up in the lottery. They received, uh, I think it was 27 Milwaukee Bucks pick which was uh, flipped to the Pistons for Jeremy Grant. So, like, overall, uh, the Grant trade I'm ecstatic about. Like, I put that he's not as good as Brogdon, but, like, especially given you have to give Joe Cronin props for just kind of making that – for one, not panicking and trading, like, seven for him, which as time went on, it didn't really look like that was ever that viable anyway. But – you know, for finding value, like for getting a player they wanted on a, on a very, in a very team friendly deal, you have to appreciate Mm -hmm. and making that move like that move looks like the fucking bargain bin. Of course, like he's a step below a player like DeJounte Murray or Rudy Gobert. But I mean, in terms of getting value for a starter, even like a starting caliber player or giving up, not that much for starting caliber player, you have to be pretty happy with that. And also what that move does is it basically solidifies the CJ McCollum trade as basically having turned out to be CJ McCollum and Larry Nance for Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, and then, you know, the other filler pieces, DD Lozada and the, and the like, and that looks like a pretty good deal in retrospect. Not like bad. That looks like pretty fair value. So that's kind of, I I definitely appreciate that. And just in terms of the overall direction of this team, like I think a lot of people, it's kind of funny. I've talked before about like my blazer fandom warping the minds of other people, like to the point, like when I saw the Anthony Simons extension get announced, like I saw a lot of like casual, you know how they're always like the NBA, like it'll be just like a picture of like the NBA fan burner accounts where it's just a, uh, you know, picture of Russell Westbrook or whatever, you know, commenting like overpay and stuff like that. Or like, who is this? And then some guy with a Damian Lillard Avi says ratio. And then that gets a bunch of likes, stuff like that. But it did seem like people were confused by that, whereas, like, all the people I'm fr- – like, you and I were not really surprised at all. I found an old text where I predicted 490, and, you know, I – like, it seemed – you know, I – and I did see some uh, Blazer fan anxiety, but it, two things. One, it um, – one, like, once again, what's the difference? It seemed like his market was pretty much going to hover in that $90 million area and Nurkic in that 13 to $14 million area. So really what you, you can freak out, but as you kind of said with the bra, uh, with the not Brogdon, fuck me, Brunson thing, like really are, are you going to 
lose sleep over $4 million extra in a time where the cap jumped more than it was expected to anyway. And the other thing I do want to point out, and I am perhaps hanging my hat on this, uh, but like both of those, a thing I've learned from listening to like the really insidery NBA podcasts, like Nate Duncan's is like when these, both the Nurkic and Simon's deals, like when they get tweeted out by Woj, it's important to note if it's coming directly from the agent or not. And in both of those circumstances, they were coming directly from the agent. Uh, And especially for young players, when that first hit of what the contract is, is announced, like generally they are given the most favorable number to the player. So all of that was a long winded way of saying it wouldn't surprise me if Simon's deal is more akin to like, 485 or 490 and that four million dollar number is coming from the factoring and of things like unlikely incentives that wouldn't come wouldn't count against the cap anyway i also wouldn't really be shocked to learn that like use of Nurkic's deal was like partially guaranteed um in the last two years or something something of that nature so i'm less scared of those contracts for that reason although that remains to be seen unlike hmm. the Peyton signing yeah, I'm happy about like I at the end of the day am happy about it. Um the what I kind of sold it to you as is like they certainly are now overly guard heavy while being somewhat thin on the wind despite the wing despite the, the, the grant trade. You know, you're now looking at a rotation of basically like Lillard, Simons, Hart, Peyton, and then which is really good and the thing I like about that sort of stable of guards is I love the idea. Obviously Simons and Lillard are going to play start games together and probably at least at the beginning, close games together, given Simons's deal. But I really do love this idea of in Peyton and Hart having two more than capable guards who can allow Lillard and Simons to kind of stagger a lot while having a capable defender next to next to them. I think that is a really interesting philosophy to potentially uh kind of have anchor this team and it's something that really never happened in the past with cj mccollum being in the fold uh on the forward line you know now you're probably relying more on guys like nasir little who looks really really fucking good in his minutes last year but gets hurt a lot and justice winslow who looks really really fucking good post trade on the blazers but also gets hurt a lot and at the end of the day would you have preferred to like, you know, would you have preferred to just sign like, for example, Bruce Brown and Dante DiVincenzo using your money and sort of kill two birds with one stone in that way? Potentially, who knows if something like that was even possible, but I'm not particularly worried about it, um, especially because guys like Hart will still be movable. And if, you know, of uh, uh, something emerges down the line for uh, a, a a wing who could help them in that way. Maybe maybe someone like Hart could get moved. And they still have Eric Bledsoe's big expiring contract sitting on the books. In the next couple of days, he'll either either be cut or moved in some capacity. And you know, perhaps we could see the roster be fleshed out in in that way as well so you know we won't because we've gone we're nearing our what we definitely have gone over our patented two-hour note i'm going to save prognosticating on what this team could look like or what i wonder its aspirations are you know lillard extension 
would ha- a big ext- extension would have to happen before the start of the regular season. It'll be interesting to see how things shake out in that matter. Uh, but I'm not going to bother. I, I, you know, I'm satisfied. Like the end, the everything that happened after the grant trade and draft night sort of had this classic, somewhat classic, anticlimactic, blazery feel to it, where they certainly made their moves, but you're not exactly jumping for joy or feeling like they radically improved their chances in any way. But as we've sort of pointed out, that's pretty much true of almost every single team in free agency who didn't make a major trade. So no, no real complaints. Yeah. And I, I feel like that when texting you, you were pretty, pretty overall happy with how everything went down in terms of like the range of possibilities it could have gone. So um, yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think I like what the Blazers did overall. I'm just kind of curious to see like number seven pick in the draft and like, is he like, it doesn't seem like they're expecting him to be in the rotation at all. It just kind no, of I seems think he's like, be the, I think this is, I didn't mean to cut you off, but um, no, go ahead. Ooh, and go ahead. I, I, I also, I really want to quick and I want to thud, stick in one point on the Peyton thing. Like you mentioning, it might be a little bit of an overpay, which I agree with. But the Blazer model, going back to even a guy like Wesley Matthews, has kind of been, like, besides their classic bargain stuff, like, let's identify a really good young player and give him so much money that his team basically can't sign him. You know what I mean? Which is different than overpaying an older player. You know what I mean? Because right, there's right. still sort of a ceiling there. So I wanted to just identify the, the play from that perspective. But on the sharp thing... Yeah, you make you make a point, but the, yes, you make the point that it doesn't seem like he's ready to be. He's going to be the plan is to bring him into the fold yet. But the Blazers have pretty much done this with all of these guys over the years, save for Damian Lillard. C.J. McCollum sat on the sidelines famously for a, he got although he did get hurt early on in his career for a couple years and then came back and won most improved player of the year uh in his first starting season Anthony Simons although he was uh he was a first round pick a later first round pick was kind of this sharp model of a young guy who didn't play in college uh and you know kind of just hung out in their development system for two years and then emerged as a starting ready player. So I think that's the exact same tack they're going to, they're going to, they're going to take with sharp is like, let him learn from Dame, let him sit behind Anthony Simons and go up against him in in practices and whatnot. Let him work out with uh, Phil Beckner, Dame's personal sort of guru trainer type. And uh, in two years, we'll see if he's ready, you know, and in two years, hopefully he emerges and, you know, Hopefully by that point, you know, who knows, maybe Lillard's moved on by that point or, you know, maybe then he becomes the asset you can use to get something else or what have you. So I think that, you know, is my answer to your question or your sort of implied question of what exactly is the plan there. Yeah, I just feel like, um, I don't know. I think my thing is like, when looking at this team and we're going way too long, but when looking at this team, like the shade, like it's like, what 
I'm curious what they could have gotten for the seventh pick or like if I was like in those like in that room like what the conversations were in terms of like realistically what was sent like what they could have potentially gotten for that seventh pick in terms of like what type of rotation piece would have it yeah I don't know have it been but it's just like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna draw it out yeah I'm not gonna draw it out longer you know it wasn't og ananobi apparently yeah like apparently they were asking for way too much in addition to the seventh pick to even get to the table on that so i don't know perhaps i am burying my head in the sand you know i don't want to repeat the sins of neil olshay by assuming good faith at all times but i'm just making the assumption that it wasn't anything you know higher than a John Collins, which would have made me pretty unhappy if they'd given up seven for that. Anyway, I kind of, if that's what it is, I'm actually down to just gamble on the potential of sharp and, mm. you know, having something potentially spring internally. Uh, but you do raise a good point. And I think as time goes on, we have plenty of time to sort of discuss what this team is and where it might be heading. I think it is a valid totally question, but for what it is, yeah, yeah. I'm willing to sort of be cool with it for now. Yeah, no, and I see your logic with, like, the CJ, the Simons, um, like, development and seeing that potentially with Sharp. Like, that could be potentially pretty exciting to see. Yeah, I'm excited. Like I'm really excited. I'm really, as we sort of close this out, I'm really excited to watch Summer League uh, for that reason. Uh, I have kind of been an avid Blazers Summer League watcher in the past. And I am really excited to see what he brings in part just because he hasn't really played competitive basketball for so long. And uh, as we were kind of closing out here, I'm seeing on Twitter that like Chad Holdengren's playing his first summer league game. And, you know, uh, so as, as, as NBA life goes on, there will be plenty more, plenty more to discuss. Right. And with that, as I'm checking my Twitter, Kevin Durant, Grant is still not traded. Neither is Kyrie. I thought you were going to do a bit where you said he was traded. I wasn't even going to believe you. Know what you want. I was thinking about doing that myself. Like Kevin Durant uh, to, the, to the Chicago Bulls for Nikola Vucevic, uh, and yeah, so <laughs> and and a bunch of pick swaps. So uh, so when's the next time we when's the next time we talk, buddy? Like, what do we have to? to look forward to here like obviously if kevin durant is traded a podcast will will emerge on that but other than that i suppose maybe we do one summer sort of fun nba philosophy combined with shoot the shit about other things pod or something of that nature i don't know yeah i think the next pod is kevin durant emergency pod and then maybe and whenever that happens that might be going into the season i i just read reports like the nets aren't feeling pressure to trade him so that might last into the season i also and saw, then, i just i also saw a shams report as i was kind of scrolling on my timeline saying that there's no pressure to do a deal with the lakers for Kyrie either so perhaps we are in for the long haul on that as we alluded to Yep. And then, um, yeah, I think like the next pod is like NBA philosophies. Like I think where we're moving forward in terms of like, because I think there's a lot of parity in the league right now in terms of which teams are there to compete. And I feel like there's like 
10, close to 10 teams um, that you could like reasonably talk yourself into, into being like, yeah, they could win the, they could win the title. So like, I, I, I'm curious to see, like, are we moving to this new age of parity in the league or is it, or is like one team going to emerge and then just talk about some other summer things like, I don't really know what other what what you've been following TV wise, movie wise, things like that, or pop culture wise. But I'm sure we'll have something and we'll hash that out in that way. So um, sounds good, Andrew, man. Th- thanks again for coming onto the pod. As always, with our uh, two hour plus long podcast, I'm sure people. Yeah, are but I mean, it, this so. was we were covering a lot of a lot of things at the very least. We have a no lot of territory when we go. We have no excuse when we go over two hours on, like, you know, finals game four. But at, at the very least, we, we covered a lot of ground. Agreed. So thanks again, Andrew, for coming on and uh, looking forward to uh, the next one.